Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means. We'll explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And here with us today in the studio are Keith Johnson, VP and Research Director, and James McQuivy, VP and Principal Analyst, on the end of advertising as we know it. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank Welcome. you. Thank you. I'll start with the 50% rule. There's a there's a long-standing adage that 50% of advertising is wasted. It's just people don't know which 50%. Is that what's catching up to everybody? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, we're we're seeing a time at which you know the the spend keeps rising, but actually justifying the cost is uh, doesn't seem to be realizing itself. You know, click rates at uh, 0.35%. Um, you know, viewability at a dramatic decline. Um, it's all coming together, and that's just digital media. We're actually questioning whether we should be focusing on uh, less about a funnel and more about you know touch points around the customer. And uh, it's just all coming together now. I would say the issue of 50% of all ads are wasted. Uh, it's the kind of thing I taught back in Syracuse, you know, two and a half decades ago. And I don't know that we'll ever solve that problem, but actually focusing on that problem is the wrong problem to solve. If all we're doing is worrying about whether our interruptions in consumers' daily lives are getting better and more effective or not, we're failing to understand that not only do they not like being interrupted, but that's not even the issue as well. They have more choices for how to spend their time than they ever have before. And that includes for which interruptions they're going to be exposed to. And better yet, they have choices about what kind of experience or relationship they can have with a brand, with a company. And if you just spend all your time trying to fix the ads, you're missing the chance to have that relationship. So the argument is not that this is measurement catching up to advertising. The argument is that there's something organic happening with customer behavior and preferences that's underpinning this. It's really important that we make it clear it's an evolution of the consumer, but it's not that, oh, people won't tolerate ads. Although they don't, they say they don't. Uh, it's it's just really that they have other choices. They have other preference. They want to connect to the companies that matter to them. And that's what's so stunning about our, our research is that they keep saying, I want to be more deeply connected to the brands that matter to me. And yet here the advertiser, the marketer is spending all their time saying, here, let me send you another television ad. Let me put another flashing banner in front of your face. When really what the consumer says is, I want you to know me better so you can serve me better. How about that? There's a lot of piece part to what's going to contribute to the end of advertising. So I'd like to start at the end. What does it mean to be the end of advertising as we know it? What does the end game sort of look like? Well, you know, we've, we're applying a lot of old strategies, and although they've evolved with digital, uh, we haven't gotten to the end game, which is have a relationship with your customer. Uh, the brands want that. I think the customer actually wants that. And so, you know, being within a system that hasn't evolved fast enough, we're getting to a point that it's getting brittle. The economics of advertising is getting brittle, nonetheless, the fact that we're applying old strategies. So if you think about it from a marketer standpoint, just imagine some percentage of the marketer's budget, which keeps rising because they add tech to their budget more and more every year. And the marketer, and I'm thinking the marketing department now, that department, uh, if they're spending some percentage of their budget on media, ad creation, campaign creation and management, ad tech, martech, all that's great. The end state is that becomes a smaller and smaller and smaller piece of their spend. Meanwhile, relationship tools, relationship management, understanding an individual customer's needs in a moment, that becomes the new martech ad tech. Yeah, one of the arguments of mobile advertising 
was that it got closer to how human beings actually live and work. I mean, that was one of the big arguments. But maybe to your point, Keith, what it was was applying the old tools into a new channel. Yeah, and you, you look at that, and, and mobile was meant to be like, this is the ultimate way to engage with your customer. What we return to is a media-driven system at which all we're doing is buying more mobile ads to get to the customer, and they're not even clicking on them. And nobody's questioning that strategy, at least not hard enough. What is the time frame in which we're talking about this movement to this new model? Well, there, there are so many components to it. I think the movement away from the brokenness of the current system we're already seeing. In mm-hmm. fact, while we were writing this report and doing the research, we kept seeing announcement after announcement from the likes of P&G and GE saying this system is broken. So that's already underway. That's just step one. Step two is people have to invest, these marketers have to invest in knowing their customers more intimately, which is going to take some time as consumers embrace the devices and services that will allow that relationship to develop. So we are looking at a long-term change. Much has been made of people who call the death of things, and we're not calling the death of advertising. We're just saying it's the end of advertising as we know it, but it's going to be replaced over I'd say 10 years before people like me just put me on the very leading edge of this. I want Alexa to know me in and out. Uh, At that point, 10 years from now, I'm going to have what I want. So it seems like that's the crux of the issue, which is agencies serve ads. But Alexa, using your example, James, they serve people. I mean, that's the fulcrum point that is going to move this market, which is am I going to serve an ad or am I going to serve a person's individual preference, both, both stated and learned? The challenge is serving people is really hard. You don't understand them very well. We've talked about why the emotional aspect of that is difficult. Uh, But the fact is we are going to understand them better than we ever have and pretty soon at scale. And that's really the very interesting thing that will take away this mystery of how do we serve customers. And yes, there remains a question of how will a brand that doesn't know you at all or doesn't have permission to access any of your information get entree into your life? And that's something we can definitely talk about later. But in the long run, it will all be relationship-based. Those relationships will know you and they will have your permission to know you and perhaps even introduce you to another brand when that time is right. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, if you look at and back and you mentioned um, digital mobile advertising, Keith, which is the identifier market, the ability to cross-channel with identifiers began to be an industry unto itself, which was sort of a trying to attack what James was saying, which is, I really don't know you across channels. I'm just sort of guessing and trying to sort of statistically try to figure out who you might be or get some lookalike who you might be. It just did not prove to really solve that crime, if you will. No, and it didn't. I mean, it, it became birth of other industries. It's why, you know, analytics, the analytics industry on its own started driving for predictive analytics. And we thought that social plus some of this science would actually get to something that was more predictive. And even that is not becoming true. You can't predict a customer's behavior to the degree that we think that we can. Well, and I'll say part of the problem is we're trying to predict a useful thing, but it's a means, not an end. I mean, predicting when someone has arrived at a particular advertising touchpoint or ad channel or media channel or even your website is a great achievement, but that's not actually the goal. The goal is to predict that so that you can serve them. But that's such a mind shift for marketers and advertisers, no? 100%. I think that it is maybe harder for the people in the middle of this advertising ecosystem. You know, agencies are going to really have a hard time with that mindset because they're not in control of those dollars. But certainly the marketers that we interact with, I think when 
we get them behind closed doors, they express these frustrations. But when you then say, okay, so let's go out and change the way you do this, they say, well, I'm not sure I know what step to take next. So it's sort of taking a step back, which is we, you had sort of advertising evolving from a channel perspective. You had TV going to digital, going to mobile, but still in an advertising context. And in comes the universe of digital experiences aided by data, aided by the emergence of digital platforms, and aided to your example, James, of Alexa and virtual agents. So the displacement here is actual true knowledge of James in this example and the true ability to, to serve your needs emotionally and otherwise that's very different than advertising. I mean, that's the two here is really using technology in a way that, that, that really is clever, creative, and very narrow to you. Yes, to my moment of need, my moment of context. And then eventually, and this is where it gets a little voodoo-ish, anticipating what I want before I've even asked for it. I mean, right now we're just talking about knowing why you came here before you tell us, but you already know. Uh, once this starts to be built and we have the right systems in place and we've added the right intelligence – we anticipate what you need before you've even had the moment to consider what you need. And you can't do that unless you have a very comprehensive relationship that is data-rich, emotionally based, and has a lot of frequency associated with it so that you can use that frequency to insert, here's what you need next. In the two-state, we talk about, you know, to your point, James, the role of digital experiences, the role of virtual agents, and the role of sort of getting into the heart and mind of the individual, in this case, James. What part of advertising stays? What, what part of it is good and is preserved even in, in this new world that we're describing? There's a few interruptible experiences that certainly are going to exist. I mean, you know, think about how great television has been for a long time. Think about how great television commercials have been for a long time. The Super Bowl. It, the Super Bowl. It's, a, it's an amazing event. People still spend plenty of money. There's, there's rising spend for these marquee events, if you will. Um, I, you know, I think it was about five to seven years ago, which, you know, digital was becoming pretty interesting. And we we're, you know, thinking we were connecting with a target. And the one thing that a banner ad did was actually drive you to this very expensive $500 million microsite that actually created a brand experience that you may have may not engage with, but it was TV like. And then we realized that maybe that was a waste of money when in fact, maybe it was the banner ad itself that was a waste of money. I think there's a real opportunity to start telling stories again. Invest in content. You know, get to these commercials that people really want to imagine themselves in. I mean, we used to look at lots of commercials, and we'd laugh, and we'd cry, and we'd engage. And whatever that impression was, that brand made that impression. Well, but then just imagine that if you can create that impression, you can tell that story using television as the, the main instrument of that. But then, because you have a relationship with the customer, you can continue the story into the product journey, into the next phase of the relationship. So it's not just a one-off, go watch my commercial and have an emotional experience, and then hopefully we'll connect again someday down the road. It is an integrated part. That story is an integrated part of the overall customer journey. And that's where this combination of strategically placed storytelling interruptions plus data-driven relationships can be, uh, I don't even know how far that could take us in terms of changing the way brands uh, ex experience and interact with their customers. So in this change, there is uh, undoubtedly a hit to the advertising market as we understand it today. Uh, in your work, what, what, was the, what was the size of the hit? You know, what, how big is this dent to the advertising industry? 
Well, the the dent means a, f- a few things. If you look at the system, there's uh, there is the the ad tech community, um, and then there's the media agencies that support these ad techs and the trading desks that people have been propped up. Whether it's internally within a within a a company, you know, building their own trading desk, or the media companies building trading desks, there's a tremendous amount of revenue running through these machines. And if you start first with the digital media and say, hey, we're going to pull back our spend, and we just ask, you know, 10%, pull back 10% of the spend and see what happens, then, you know, you're starting to flow it down where you're starting to hurt ad tech a little bit, but then the media agencies, you know, come with it, and then it gets down to the creative. But, you know, frankly, the great creative agencies that are out there, they're not doing banner ads anymore. But this goes to the heart of what we've been talking about, if we're if we're creating content that's helpful and human and handy, that those are the experiences that we want to create for consumers today. And those are the things that biologically, sociologically, anthrop- all the logicallys, mm-hmm. we are built for. Right. That's what we yearn for. That's what we want. And when people give it to us, we reward them with loyalty, with patronage, and that's that is not advertising. That is synchrony. I mean, that's an amazing next level kind of experience. And the thing is, we're we're there. We're starting to see brands have that kind of relationship with their customers, at least emotionally. And now they're just going to be able to elevate the game and make it more responsive and more anticipatory. Uh, and that's that's a really positive thing. Economically, it's a massively important thing. If you think about wasting a few billion dollars here and there and say, well, we're going to have you cut back a few billion. But imagine... Imagine if we improve the ability for companies to communicate their value to their target customers by 10%. What does that mean for the effect on the economy? Those companies now have better relationships. They can innovate more. They can create better products, better experiences. They can serve those customers better. They have better lives. I mean, 10% better. And then the multiplier of that could be significant into the billions of dollars in the economy. It will also hurt the people who are based on this old model of interruption, which right now Google and Facebook find themselves on the kind of dark side of this digital movement, which is a wonderful irony in some ways. And they're getting all kinds of flack for it. But the real question is, sure, they can improve and make their advertising more more, um, transparent. They can be more in line with other advertising uh, or other publishers' rules of advertising. All that's fine. But in the end, are they going to have the relationship or not? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that Keith mentioned in terms of Facebook using that as an example, which is the market that underpins the ad is extraordinarily complex. There are data brokers upon data brokers and that type of thing. It's really hard for them to govern truly the placement of an ad and who actually makes a decision. I mean, ad blocking is a significant part of the puzzle now because they just couldn't govern themselves. I mean, this is part of the problem of sort of the, it has come home to roost, if you will. Certainly not at this scale. I mean, you know, when you talk about the billions of impressions, much less the billions of dollars that are being spent in this space, and you can't track everything. And, you know, technology uh, technology evolves. And the second that you think you have the perfect ad platform, somebody has already figured out how to make a better one or disrupt the ad platform you just built. So what's the magnitude? How big are we talking here? Well, I mean... I've, I've been struck for a long time and, you know, by the impact uh, or the, actually the lack of impact that digital display has been having. And, you know, in the report, we cite this like, you know, display advertising never worked like we pretended. And it's absolutely true. I mean, we've been turning our head on some monstrous numbers. 
we describe $7.4 billion as nominal wastage. There's a lot you can do with $7.4 billion. You could return that capital back into innovating for your brand and improving customer experiences. And even worse, that $7.4 billion is only display. We're not talking about mobile and the massive amount of social that social impressions that Facebook is is taking on and, and Google uh, is taking on in mobile advertising. So, Keith, those are big dollars. So you, you're freeing up, in your case, at, at a minimum, $7 billion. What does a $7 billion fund? I mean, as we think of the two-state, what is it going to? You know, it's, it's easy for us to say, oh, take that money and invest it in relationships. I get that relationships are, are hard to do, but it, maybe you have to learn how to visualize it first. Uh, so if you take an example, say... Uh, I've, I've got to feed my family tonight. You know, how do I do that? So there, I've got to figure out what I'm going to cook. I've got to figure out whether I have the food uh, at home, whether I know how to cook the thing I need to cook. That's all a question which, you know, over time I've built up whatever habits I have for making that decision. So James, this is the idea that Alexa, in your case, is actually creating preferences for you based upon her knowledge of your habits, your preferences. Exactly. And Alexa, as you know, has just started adding cameras to people's homes. Uh, they've got a camera for the bedroom. They've got a camera now for, you know, a regular placement in the home with a screen attached to it. So imagine, uh, this will freak some people out, but imagine that that camera is watching your cooking behaviors. It's keeping tabs on the flow of groceries in and out of your refrigerator. It knows that that milk is now empty. And so essentially when you're saying, oh, I've got to feed, you know, two kids and, and somebody's friend who's coming over after school tonight, what am I going to make? Well, Alexa chimes in and says, hey, you remember that great Thai dish you had last month? Everybody seemed to like it. I know because the plates were empty when the night was over. That She'll know that kind of thing about you. And so uh, then she tells you whether or not you have those ingredients still in stock or are likely to and how many you need and puts them on your shopping list because there's already an Alexa shopping list in the app. Um, you can get to the point where imagine that at that point Alexa says, hey, do you have time to stop by and pick this up after soccer practice or should I run someone from DoorDash to pick it up and bring it to you and have that order delivered so that you can then uh, make the dish that we're now working on together as a team? I mean that that's a very consultative, very partnered approach to a simple decision of what to make for dinner tonight, but it's backed by data, data about you, information about you, your preferences, your family's preferences, time of day, things that are in the pantry, all of that information. And that's the kind of life we're walking into. And a marketer has to say, where do I fit? And so in the context of advertising, the issue is, in your example, Alexa may choose those ads that are relevant at that moment, whether that's a delivery service, whether that's the ingredient, whether that's the store, whether that's the restaurant, it will start making some decisions for you about what she perceives to be most relevant. And that might be how ads are served going forward based upon that utility, that sort of the contextual utility of it. Well, let's depart from the ads for a minute. We talk about what if my Alexa understands that I have a really healthy relationship with Blue Apron in that case. And well, although I don't have time to go to the grocery store today and solve that problem, Maybe my next blue apron order is expedited with that meal that I believe that, you know, should be enjoyed on a Friday. And that shows up. Now you're talking about Alexa brokering a relationship with another brand who they also want to get me at me as a consumer. In that example, you mentioned blue apron. 
But what if other brands want to participate like HelloFresh? How do they try and establish that relationship with that consumer? Yeah, this is a wonderful point. And it it does highlight the fact that there will need to be some mechanism for introducing a brand that you don't currently have a relationship with, but that you might want to if you only knew what they could do for you. And, you know, advertising was how we used to do that. And there will still be advertising. Don't, don't get me wrong. But wouldn't it be better still if in the back end, HelloFresh and perhaps Alexa, or perhaps there's a new intermediary? We, we've proposed that there's a possible kind of matchmaker role where intermediaries become experts in matching your preferences to services you don't know, because that is also a fundamental need that we have is to experience variety. So let us uh, imagine a scenario where where HelloFresh can say to your matchmaker, and it could be Alexa, but it could actually be a separate intermediary, and say, hey, there are some things I really specialize in. I'm kind of good at these root vegetables, and I've got some chefs that are making menus that are really sort of uh, Southeast Asian. Does this family go for that? And the intermediary could say, actually, yeah, they really do. So give me what you got, and I'll make them an offer appropriate to their, their eating habits, their preferences, and so on. And if they take it, and, and all of this, I'm making it sound like it's a conversation. It's a couple of bits passed back and forth. Right. In, Happening in seconds. In right? a millisecond, yeah. really. And look, we've had some very talented advertising people for a long time. What's interesting about this whole scenario that we're saying is is true, probably going to be true, definitely going to be true, actually, is that there's going to be some really crafty, creative people that are going to focus on what does it look like when now advertising is less about search and more about voice? It's a co- topic of conversation right now. Uh, what do those experiences look like now that I've brokered a relationship and I have a higher quality thing that I'm expecting from that brand now? What does that experience look like? These are the evolutions in advertising. These are the creative and talented people that are going to come through for us in this new world. Yeah, to your point, this conversation started with the end of advertising, but really is the emergence of an intelligent, anticipatory, almost conversational digital environment that blends the best of advertising storytelling with the power of digital and data. So as we think of this in its, in its total conclusion, what does it mean to, to marketers, to advertisers, and to the market at large? Well, from a marketer's perspective, it means you're now in charge of a much bigger task. It's it's no longer just a safe little silo where you get to fire away with your messages and then trust that someone else is delivering on that promise. You are responsible for the promise. We, we are going to see more marketers who have first-line responsibility for product because the product is essentially the fulfillment of the promise made by the marketer. And if the marketer can't guarantee the fulfillment of the promise, they're going to be out of a job pretty soon. So they're going to insist. They're going to say, I've got to have my hands on that um, on that, or we're we're all in trouble. So that changes the fundamental job of marketing. I, I don't think that the marketer of yesteryear will feel comfortable with that. But at the same time, I don't know who else will. It's not automatically the CIO or the uh, chief product officer or the chief operating officer. No one really knows how to do any of this because we've been so focused on our silos. And now someone's got to step up. So thank you, gentlemen. This is pretty far-reaching changes. This will have a profound effect on advertising and the winners in this thing. And I think we'll visit this in our next podcast. So thank you both for your time today. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Looking to dive deeper on this very topic? Join us for a webinar with James McQuivy, Keith Johnston, and Shar Van Boskirk, Wednesday, June 28th at 11 a.m. Eastern. Go to four.com slash ad to register. That's F-O-R-R dot com slash A-D. Thanks for listening.